All right, so we're continuing on with this series uh, and we're doing two chapters today, as Eric said, five and six. Um, the Corinthian church was established by Paul. It was his baby. And uh, so he's, he's just distressed to hear of all the stuff that's happening in the church. Uh, and pretty much the whole letter is taken up with correcting uh, and telling them, uh, you know, how, this is, that's what you're doing, but this is what you should be doing. And it's all based on the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, if Jesus died for us, then this is how you should be living, not like the way you are living. And there's two big topics to, that come up in the reading today. Uh, there's the sexual immorality one. And in chapter 6, there's also the lawsuits among believers, the, the disputes that are happening amongst people who call themselves Christians, who go to the same church. So I, I want to have a look at actually at the, uh, the bit in chapter 6 first uh, about the disputes in the church. Now, the Lord Jesus said that all men would know that you are my disciples if you have love for each other. If you love each other, then people will recognise that you are my disciples. And as one involved in church leadership for probably 25 years or so, it's, it is actually the really distressing thing and, and, and the real downside of, of being a leader in the church is when people who were formerly in love with each other have a falling out. They fall out of love with each other and, and there's a, the, the, a, a dispute between them. Now, we're not talking here about theological disputes. That's not what Paul's talking about here. You know, like the, the big theological disputes that, that a lot of us have come out of, um, that's not what he's referring to here. This is the type of thing where, uh, you know, say if I, um, if I had a car that, that for sale uh, and I offered it to, to Philip here and I said, well, it's only been driven, I've only driven it to church once a week. It's, uh, it's never gone over 80 k's an hour. Uh, it's in beautiful condition and I sold it to him for a really, then this is a really good price, Philip, you should buy it, you know. And then the next week uh, he finds out that it actually it uses a pint of oil just backing out of the shed and uh, it hardly ever actually goes, you know. That, that, that can cause, I've actually seen that happen in a church where um, somebody has treated their brother with contempt in that way. Um, but, but probably more common actually is when someone just says something that really upsets someone else. And, and uh, the, our fallen nature means that often that person then thinks, well, I, I, I need, I need um, compensation for this. I, I need an apology because he can't speak to me like that. And, and, but then very often that person thinks, well, I was totally justified in, in saying what I said. So we can all think of lots of ways that, that a dispute uh, can begin but Paul calls them in verse 2 he calls them trivial cases because that's what they are it's our fallen nature and we we kind of it's in our nature to want to carry these things on and not let them just pass the other person must apologize and they must admit that they were wrong and of course they see it the other way around why should I apologize so how does all this fit in then with what what I said earlier that quoted Jesus' words, that, that by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I think conversely, even frighteningly, they might say instead, people will know that you are not my disciples if you treat each other like that. 
As God's church, we must always be aware of what we look like to the world. So, so what do we do about these disputes? Well, it seems to me there are, there are two um, options that are both, both biblical. Um, one is, that, is the words that Jesus himself said in Matthew 18, uh, where he deals with this. He says, if your brother sins against you, you'd go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. So that's a good outcome. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, then treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. So first of all, go to someone privately Hopefully that'll sort it out. If not, if it becomes more serious, take two members of the church with you, two reputable members, and, tra and take it from there. And sometimes people are just so intransigent that, that the church then has to deal with it and say, well, no, you are in the wrong. However, I reckon the second option, which is also biblical, and it's one that Paul talks about in the passage here today, is, a far, is the far preferred option. Um, it's much simpler to put into practice because it only involves you. It only involves one person. It's there in today's reading in verse 7 of chapter 6. Paul says, when, you, when someone upsets you, he says, why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? Why not rather be cheated? Now, I said this method is simple, simpler, but it's not easy. It's a very hard thing to swallow your pride like that. And even when you strongly believe that you're in the right, but to go on loving your brother or sister when you believe that you've been, been uh, wronged by them, it's a really hard thing to do, but it is the right thing to do. If you want a good, good way to spend a couple of hours sometime, get a Bible concordance and look up the words humility uh, and humble you'll quickly discover how much God loves humility and how much he hates arrogance and pride. It's not about me, it's not about you. Why not rather be cheated? Why not rather be wronged? Do what is good for the church, but always love. So the, the second big issue that is raised in the reading today is sexual immorality. It's a, it's a long reading and I, and I don't have time to go through it verse by verse. So we're just going to kind of look at the bigger pictures of what Paul says here. It, it, in uh, in uh, chapter 6, it seems like some of the Corinthian Christians were still visiting the temples that, of their former gods and making use of the shrine prostitutes that were, that were there. And they were saying that their freedom in Christ allowed them to do that. Look, you know, I'm not, I'm not worshipping these gods anymore, so what does it matter? That, that's kind of the, the thinking. But Paul says, yes, it does matter. It really matters. And in doing so, he puts sexual immorality actually into a category of sin which is different to other sins and more damaging. He says that other sins are external to us, but sexual immorality damages 
the very core of a person. And not only that, it, it almost always dam damages other people as well. Now Paul has a simple solution to this in uh, verse 18. He says, run away. Run away, flee. Now, not much good running nowhere though. Where do you run? You run to Jesus. Very hard to be a, a sinner when you're in close communion with Jesus. Very hard when you're praying. You know, we've all seen and heard of whole churches that have fallen apart with sexual immorality in the leadership. They disintegrate. They disintegrate. They stop being an integer. They stop being one because of sexual sin in the leadership. And it's insidious. It creeps into churches and destroys them. We've all heard of and seen that happen. So what can we do? Well, we've got to have it seems we've got to have zero tolerance for this. We need good teaching and this is the place to get it. We hear good teaching every week on these things and, it, and, that, and that is certainly an important part of it. Um, but the fact that my, my son is, the pastor, is a pastor of this church reminds me of the role that, that fathers and parents in general, I think particularly fathers, have in teaching their sons and daughters about these things. Now, Shelley and I have four sons and one daughter and any day now I plan to, uh, no, that <laughs> seriously, fathers, this is a special message for fathers here, tell your daughters what boys are like, tell them what boys are like. Tell your sons what it means to love your neighbour as yourself. Tell them that that's how they should treat girls. They, they should treat them in the same way that they want somebody else to be treating their future wife. That's what it means to love your neighbour as yourself. That's what we need to teach our children. Because if we don't teach them, others will. And it won't be good. The world will, will, teach, will tell them what they think and that won't be good. Look, sex was not invented by us. We often think it was, but God created us as sexual beings. But he gave us clear guidelines about how it was to be used. And basically it boils down to one man, one woman for life. And as soon as we step outside of this, we run into problems. And we selfishly, when we selfishly seek our own pleasure, and it will always be at, at someone else's expense. Now, the, on the same topic, the other thing that Paul brings up is the case of a man who is in a sexual relationship with his stepmother. It's really the same issue in a different form. The, this man is using his God-given freedom that he has in Christ, uh, his freedom from the law, to do something that is an affront to the holiness of God. The, the church in Corinth didn't seem to realise how serious this problem was. In fact, they were boasting about it, it says in, in verse 6. But Paul knows the danger not, not just to the man himself, but, but, uh, but to the church. He knows that the church will become infected, that others will see what is happening. If it's allowed to go on, if no one says anything, then others will look and say, well, if he can do that, um, so can I. And the church will become like 
like the vineyard in Isaiah chapter 5 where God planted a vineyard and went there expecting to reap a good harvest of grapes. But instead he found, he found bloodshed and instead of righteousness he heard cries of distress. To apply that to the church at Corinth, we could say the vineyard of the Lord is the church and the church is the garden of his delight. He looked for holiness and justice but he saw people seeking their own pleasure and he looked for righteousness but he saw immorality. We must always be aware that, that we are Christ's ambassadors in this world and it is unfair and it's unjustified but Jesus is tarred with the brush that we, we paint with. He's judged by our actions. So in the case of this man living with his stepmother, even the pagans were lifting their eyebrows. These Christians are no different to us, the worse even. So Paul urges the church to stop ignoring this blatant sin and hand this man over to Satan, which means to, just to, to exclude him from the fellowship, not to punish him, not to punish him, but in the hope that it might bring him to his senses and that he will repent. Our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, a place where God lives. It's like using our bodies for sexual immorality is like using your favourite meal, you know, like a roast, beautiful roast lamb or something and then going and tipping a cup of sewerage over it. Now perhaps some of us feel uncomfortable even reading this passage because, because of our past sins. But Paul's and God's ultimate aim is not condemnation but redemption. And so he sternly warns them of the danger. He says, Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, the greedy, drunkards, slanderers, swindlers, these will not inherit the kingdom of God. They will not. And then he says, and that is what some of you were. But then there's this, this, this word, but. But, same as it's used in the same way that but is used in, the, in Ephesians chapter 2, where it says, you know, but God who is rich in mercy. But here it's, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So even though the people of Corinth had been all these things, they weren't that now. They were changed. As we read passages like today's, it's, easy, it's very easy to slip into the, you know, do this, don't do that, and you'll be okay type of thing. Illegalism. That type of theology. And ignore the, the beacon, the, the, the lighthouse shining from this passage. In chapter 5 there, Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. So if Christ died for us, well, that just changes everything, doesn't it? Now there's one other, one other issue. Because all this brings up the whole contentious issue of judging others. There's obviously... Uh, in all these cases we looked at today, the man in the sexual relationship with his stepmother and the men visiting temple, temples for sex and the people taking each other to court, 
somebody has to call it out. Someone has to stand up and say, this is wrong. This should not be happening in God's church. And that's what Paul's doing, doing here, and he's doing the church at Corinth a huge favour by doing so. It takes a lot of courage to speak up about these issues among people in your own congregation. People that you love, people that you have a lot to do with, it will cause hurt and it will probably cause division. And people will say, judge not, lest you yourself be judged. That's taking that verse, by the way, totally out of context. When Jesus said it, he then went on to say, basically, make sure your own house is in order before you judge someone. So it's okay to judge someone. You just have to make sure that you're not doing the same thing. For in the same way as you judge others, you will be judged. Our reading today says that we as Christians must use a different standard when we judge those inside the church. Those who consider themselves and call themselves our brothers and sisters. A different standard to those outside. Those outside have no reason to conform to Christian morality. There's no reason that they should. And if we try to make them without changing their heart, well, we're just wasting our breath. It might make us happier, but ultimately it's totally pointless. But amongst ourselves, we need wise counsel. We need wise correction. And all of us must train ourselves in humility, in acceptance that we might not always be right, and pray that we might be wise enough to accept godly criticism. Sometimes we might be told things that we think are unfair. That's when we can choose to make a fuss and cause trouble. Or we can ask ourselves, does, does this really matter? And swallow our pride and remember, remember Paul's words here, why not rather suffer wrong for the good of the church? So I want to finish now just with a, a little passage from uh, 1 Thessalonians. And in chapter 4, it's just Paul's instructions really that kind of sums all this up. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living, so that's good. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. We can always do it more than we are. None of us has arrived. Don't ever think you have. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honourable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins, as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Remember the words that, that um, Paul finishes with here. You are not your own. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. Amen.